Bless you guys. How are we? Good. Did we rest last night? Yeah, sometimes, some of us, one of us. I did. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, before I get going, if it's okay, I was going to get my son to share. Awesome. We're traveling together as a, as a family of six now, I think we are, because of the baby. I forget how many we are. We got one grandbaby, and I lost my mind on how, how many we are now. Uh, but I wanted him to just share a little bit, if that's okay with y'all. Corbin. Hello, everyone. Uh, to those of you who don't know me, my name is Corbin. Um, I work in Mexico with my dad and grandpa full-time now. Um, preaching and every form of ministry um, that I'm needed to do. Um, every day it's different. Um, there's no really one way to describe it other than just following the example that Jesus gave us in the Bible um, to help and love every person that is in our lives, that's a part of our lives, that's involved in any way, shape, or form. And I'm still young, but I am learning so much um, in the last few years. Um, I think it was two years ago, um, we were doing a fast, and I started reading 1 Corinthians 13. We went through a time where my grandpa asked us to read that every day for, was it six months? I think it was. And I did that, and it didn't really have that much of an impact on me. It did, but at the same time, it didn't. Um, because my heart wasn't in the right place to receive it. And so it was probably two years after my grandpa asked us to do that, I was rereading the Bible again. And I came across 1 Corinthians 13 again. And we were in a fast, and I started reading it. And at the time, I still had some hate against people. A few people in my life that they had done me wrong. They had done my family wrong. And I let the root of bitterness take over my heart against these people. As I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, the Holy Ghost came on me really heavy. And he told me something that really hurt for a long time. Because at this point, I'd already been preaching for two years. And the Holy Ghost told me, because of the hate that is in your heart, the work that you're doing has no value. And that... It wasn't that what I was doing was wrong or that it wasn't helping people. But as far as me and God, it had no value because of the hate that I had in my heart. And it was probably three or four days before I stopped crying. And figuring out how I could possibly forgive these people because it was so strong in, in my heart and in my spirit, the hate that I had against these people. Just the thought of these people made me sick. 
And it was to the point where it was so bad that I had physical pain in my body because of the hate. And it took me a few months to be able to feel like I could start forgiving these people. And that was fasting, and usually uh, the beginning of our fast, we have no services, we have the only thing, we don't, you know, we do absolute minimum so that we can focus on prayer and fasting and getting in connection with God and getting on the right path. So I had nothing else to do but pray and figure out how I can get to a place in God and surrender it to God to be able to forgive these people. And when I did, and a few of them I was able to call because I had their, their phone numbers, I was able to call and fix things with them. And they didn't realize that they had hurt me. Most of the time, most, a few of them didn't. And, you know, right away they, they, they repented of the wrong that they did, and that made me feel really bad because they, they didn't, it wasn't their intention. They didn't even realize that they had done it. Um, and it, when I did that, it was like this massive weight lifted off of me. Um, through my teenage years, I started focusing more on the problems that were in the church and the hypocrites than all the healings and stuff that were happening. And I told my dad this, one of, the, one of the things that kept me in the gospel was growing up and all the times that I remember drunks coming in the building, but by the time they left, they were completely sober and saved. And they're still in our churches today. There's about 15 of our brothers that I know that that's how they got saved because I was there the day it happened. And so to think that I wasn't helping people as much as I thought because I had this hate. And thankfully, I've been able to forgive all the people. It was really hard. And now I make it a point to read 1 Corinthians 13 at least two or three times a week, if not every day so that I can remember. Because it says in there, without love, we are nothing. And so there's one, one verse, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. It says, love bears, under, bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. <clears throat> its hopes are faithless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. And that was really hard for me to understand for a long time. And I finally decided, and me and my wife talked it over, that I want to live in a way that if I die or the person or if any other person that is in my, in my life 
dies that there was nothing. That I had nothing against them and they had nothing against me. Whether they forgive me or not, that's between them and God. But between us, I forgive them. And if, if I do wrong, I do my absolute best as soon as I hear anything to go fix it. I live with my dad mostly, and the moment that I feel like there's something that either I offended my parents or if there's something that I get offended about, I go right then and try to fix it. Same with my, with my coworkers and my friends. And it's really allowed a freedom in my life that I didn't know was possible. With helping people, with being able to think so much clearer because I don't have the hate hold me back. Because I'm not wasting energy on hating these people. And one thing my dad has always taught me is if there's a problem that you can't fix, don't waste your energy thinking about it. Put it in God's hands and think about the things that you can fix. And so I've really applied that to my life and it has set a freedom on me that I never would have thought was possible. And that I see that a lot of people that are in my life, that they don't have that freedom. Um, I have uh, one testimony, and this, one, this testimony really impacted me. Or when this happened, it really impacted me. Uh, me and my brother-in-law one day went out with one of our pastors, and he said, look, this is a village that they don't want the gospel, but there's one guy that he doesn't like us, but he keeps inviting us back to hear the gospel. He tells us every time, I don't agree with you, but you can come back on this day. <laughs> um, so he goes, look, we have to leave the motorcycles in a way that if we, have, if we get run out, we need to be able to get out of there. I was like, all right. Um, so I was a little nervous going into it because um, it's back up in a place and most of the people there are there because they're running from the law. So we get there, he welcomes us in, and he just starts talking about his life. The, the day before I got there, he had gotten a fight with a coworker, and then went home, got his rifle, and was waiting on the side of the road for that guy. And then the guy came, but he said he just didn't, he, he just couldn't pull the trigger. And this guy has been in jail five or six times because he just loses his temper and just fights with people. And he told me, he goes, I have no love. I have no sympathy. I didn't marry my wife because I loved her. I married her out of necessity. I don't love my children. And they're all sitting right there hearing him say that. And his oldest daughter is like 16, I think. And he's just sitting there, I don't love them. And that, that really hurt. Just thinking about them living in that. And he goes, just, he goes if anybody says anything that I disagree with, I'm going to fight them. 
And I, I looked at him, I was like, well, have I said anything that you disagree with so far? And he's like, not yet, <laughs> which I was thankful for. Um, and he said, the only reason I keep inviting the pastor back and I invited y'all here is because there's something on y'all. He goes, and I finally figured out what it was. It was peace and love. He goes, after sitting here and listening to you talk, that's what it is. He goes, I don't have it. And so we talked to him for a long time, and he just, at one point, he just put his hand up, and I got really nervous. Because um, he just, he had a really angry look on his face. And I was like, I'm about to have to run out of here. Um, and he said, I don't want to hear anymore. I'm ready to dedicate my life to Christ. And I just, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, at the edge of my seat thinking I'm about to have to run. Um, and it was a relief. And he looked at his wife and said, do you, are you in agreement? And she's like, I've just been waiting on you. She's like, I was out of fear of you. I didn't, I haven't gotten saved yet. And so right there, and I told him right away, I was like, look, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's a change in your heart to dedicate your life to Christ and His ways. He's like, I totally understand that. He goes, I held out because I wanted to learn and understand what it was to change my life. And he, he, got, he got down on his knees, which usually doesn't happen. He got down on his knees and said, I'm ready to change. And so we talked with him, we prayed with him, we ate with him. It was a great time. And then last time my dad went there, he said that you can see the peace on him. You can see that he's learning to love his family. And so that was really encouraging to me. And my goal in life is to help people get the peace and love of Christ. Because it's so overwhelming and it can just swallow up things that in our minds are overwhelming problems become obsolete they're not even you don't even have to think about them anymore (coughs) and I've experienced that so many times in my life where this problem is so big and I'll put it in the hands of God and then it's no longer a problem it's still there but it doesn't affect my life So I want to encourage you to dig deeper into the love of Christ and receive the peace of God because it's there just waiting on us. We have to open up our hearts for it. So I want to encourage you with that. Um, It's always encouraging to come here and hang out with Brother Andrew and his family. Um, We do come here to bless y'all, but it's also an encouragement to us. So thank you very much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Thought he was going to take over there for a second. It was going good. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I thought he was going to take my message, but he missed the verse that I was going to use, so that's good. So I can still talk about it. I've been stuck for about five years now, 
on exactly what he was saying. That's probably why it's really embedded in his spirit. Love and forgiveness are the basis of who it is to be a Christian. It's not what church you go to. It's not what you've accomplished. Because she was saying it earlier that we believe still. It's, it's a trap from the enemy, but we believe somehow that I'm still trying to impress God with my goodness. And that he's not going to love me unless I become good. Or we go the other way. There's another belief system out there now that says no matter what I do, God has to love me and I get to go to heaven anyway. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, it's somewhere in between those two. And I don't know how rigid that line is. I think it's a case-by-case deal. Uh, too many people have God being this legalistic judge and it's like, you tow this line or else. And I'm here to tell you that there's too many examples in the Gospels that make me believe that I don't know if we have it figured out. Honestly, uh, there's a couple people in there that I'm really, we're going to have to re-go through the case. We've got to review this case that the Lord, is, he was just too free with this forgiveness thing. And don't worry, I never use sarcasm as a tool. That's kind of a lie. Just <laughs> flow with me here. But based on what I know of many denominations and religions' belief systems and how they operate on this forgiveness thing, it's Jesus didn't follow the script, and so we're going to have to change Jesus. Actually, it's quite a a long-standing problem. Jesus had a time where he told them, you have changed the commandments of God and made them of none effect. And while you've elevated man's commandments and made them, put them in the place of God's commandments. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. And we, we still do that. So what if we went back to Jesus and watched what he said and did and made that the basis of our belief system? Well, that got deep really fast. It really did. It's really, it's really crazy. They brought a lady to Jesus, and forgive me, ladies, I don't know where the dude was, but there was a case of adultery that had, we caught her in the very act, and I mean, I don't know if the dude could run faster or what happened here, but uh, they were willing to kill her right there in front of the Lord. And then he did his deal in the sand, and there's people speculate uh, according to what I understand of the Jewish, the early church and the Jewish customs, as he was writing down the names of people in a sin that was associated with this person, that would be a stonable offense. And then he's like, hey, buddy, you want to cast the first stone? And, and then he's looking at the sand and looking at the person. Because if you cast a stone, I'm going to pick it up, throw it back is the implied thing here. And that guy, and it made sense to me because it said this in the book that we have, it says they left from the eldest to the youngest. That's not a natural order. People normally leave in random orders of age. He specifically targeted the oldest one first, and he's just going down the list. Serious words of knowledge going on, and it wasn't, you know, oh, I see your birthday. It was... It was... He wrote down a name in the sand, and then he wrote down a grave sin that had been committed, and then he's like, 
hey, Ezekiel, come over here for a second. He goes, does this sound familiar? And that guy would be like, I just remembered. I was supposed to buy something at the market. And pretty soon, there's nobody left that's the accusers. And so Jesus is like scraping his foot in the sand, and he's like, hey, lady, where's your accusers? I don't know. And then he said something very strange that I'm going to have to review the case of. This is the part where I get to disagree with the Lord a little. He says, I have chosen not to accuse you. Go in peace. Sin no more. Now, hold up. Hold up. There has to be tears. There has to be confession. There has to be repentance, because I read Romans. And Jesus is like, I'm the Lord. So that also makes me believe, like what my son was saying, that many people have prayed the prayer and they're not born again. Because that prayer isn't a magic phrase that obligates God to do anything for you. That's right. Come on. What it is, is a meetup. We got to have a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And he looks at you and you're like, yeah, Lord, I've had some things going on in my life here. I'm kind of in a bad place right now. And he's like, all right, I got it. And you're like, that's it? Yep. That's salvation. For example, they're hanging there on the cross, just hanging out, literally. Two dudes are cursing Jesus, and at a dawn's on one of them, read the Gospels, they were both cursing, and then one of them was cursing, and the other one was like, hey, dude, wait a minute, why are we cursing this guy? We about to die. And we deserve to die. He don't. He just turns to Jesus, he's like, remember me. And he's like, I, that's Louisiana speak for, okay, all right, we'll be seeing each other later on today. And I read that the other day. Okay, Jesus, you were under a lot of stress and I get that, but can we go back and take the dude back out of paradise can we drop him back into hell because he was probably a murderer or something you know he didn't really go through the romans road (sighs) you know makes sense right because we're christians and we have to follow the christian rules or we get to put people in hell Yet we live that way, kind of. Like Corbin was saying, we live with hate in our hearts against people. Let me ask you a question. I've asked this in many places, and I will probably ask you when I come back, if I get to come back. How long do we do church normally? On a Sunday, it's almost three. Okay, we'll land this plane about four-ish. Four-ish. Yeah, that's a lot of leeway there for me. 
should have given me a hard number. That's all right. I'm just playing. I'll try to land the plane. Where was I at? Started landing planes. What was I saying? Yeah, after that. Oh, the question. Yes, the question. Very good. That was a test to see if you were paying attention. Because I lost track and I'm the guy talking. How long after you've sinned? Has anybody ever sinned? Okay, I hope that if you didn't raise your hand, you got a problem with your shoulder or something. Because, just face it, we've all sinned. But how long after you sin, you lose your temper, you yell at your child, you, you do something that's, that's, that can't be considered sin to God. And then you realize it and you're like, oh no, I'm going to have to go pray. And you say, Lord, forgive me. How long does he have? In your, bo- in your book, how long does he have to contemplate this? I mean, do we give him a week? Does the Lord have a week to determine and go back and review your case and look how you were really ugly to your child? What is your expectation? Let me, get, let me go with that. It doesn't really say in the scriptures because I've looked. It says he's faithful and just to forgive. There's no timeline given. But how long do you think it takes to get forgiven? Or let me go even further. How long do you hope it takes? Because my expectation and my hope is like you hit the go button and you get the email back like right now. And you're like, whoo, that was good. Yeah. Me and the Lord, we're good now. That brings us to a very, very harsh point, though. Jesus said, in the same manner that ye forgive, ye shall be forgiven. And when I realized that, I'm like, so if I expect immediate response from heaven when my wife apologizes to me for doing something that I thought was grievous... I don't get to stew on it for a day. Because ever how long I give my wife, that's how long God has. Make it light on yourself. Because some of you have been holding grudges for years. So what you're telling God is, Lord... I've hated this person for two years now. So when I ask you forgiveness, you have two years to forgive me of this sin. You're the one making the deal with God. He's not making this deal. You are. When I started realizing this concept, I had to learn how to forgive because I wasn't real good at it, to be honest. I expected all of y'all to forgive me quickly, but I feel like, you know what, you hurt my feelings and you ripped me off. You stole from me. You lied about me. You lied to me. You did all kind of things to me. And so I got to have a moment here. 
I have to have a moment. Yeah, I'll say that I forgive you, but it's going to be a moment before I treat you kindly again. That ain't fair. It's not fair at all. I want the Lord to forgive me. I mean, like, almost, if it's possible, I would like for him to have forgiven me before we ever had the conversation. Like, when he realized I sinned, and then he's like, look, I'm going to have mercy on this person. And then he's like, but I'm going to talk about it. we got to have a conversation. And he reminds you of your sin, and you're like, oh, no, I for- I've sinned. And he's like, I took care of it. But that also means that I have to be the same way that when someone offends me, I have to forgive them before they apologize, before they make it right, before they do any steps back towards the positive. I have to forgive, forget, move on, and then have a conversation with them because their life is hurting because they're, they're not in a good place if they're going to be going around offending people. So that when I actually do talk about them, it, does not, it doesn't devolve into a fight. It doesn't go ugly. It doesn't go mean because you're not coming from now from a place of hurt. And the only people involved in this thing were you and God. Then you go to that person and you talk about it and you resolve it, hopefully. And guess what? This thing that happened never got out. The rest of us didn't get contaminated by your sensibilities. Do you realize how many problems in the church could come and go, never make a wave? Never interfere with anybody else if we would do this God's way. And do you realize how much pain we wouldn't have to live through if we would simply, like, I, like Corbin was saying, if we would simply hand it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is way bigger. I really feel hurt here. And you might ask me, well, how big of a sin are you talking about? I mean, Jesus just flat out forgave a lady for adultery. Just. And I'm like, no, no, Lord, she hurt her. Her husband, her children, look at all the damage she caused. You, you, you got to at least send her to therapy or something. <laughs> Reparations have to be made. And anyone who's ever been hurt will agree with that. However, what reparations have you made to God? Wow. Okay. Let's look in the book of Luke, please. Chapter 10, let's read a few verses, verse 25 and on. Luke 10, 25, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, What should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. What are the rules here? Now, this was a test. The guy kind of knew already, but he was just kind of testing Jesus out. But it does bring a good question to light. And I'm like, I'm glad they included it in there because I'm kind of curious too. Well, how do I get this eternal life thing? what, What does that look like? And so Jesus was like, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I thought they told me that we don't do that no more. 
so I can't eat bacon? <laughs> we got to go back to doing church on Saturday? That's not the part that seemed important to the man. And Jesus actually said the food thing. He's like, look, that was, just be thankful for everything you eat. And I'm like, yes, bacon's back on the table. <laughs> and some people now to this day, they have a conviction about not eating bacon. If that's you, please maintain your conviction. It's cool to have convictions. And if God is working with you and you don't get to eat bacon, go that path. Because that's what God wants you to do. He has either not told me that or I have been plugging my ears or something. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to do something your heart tells you not to do because that's dangerous. What I'm saying is that's not the part of the law that had to do with eternal life. But the guy nailed it on the head. Boom. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, right. Do this and you will live. Again, I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to have some long talks with the Lord when when I see Him, because He didn't mention anything about tithing, going to church, and you know, pastors right here. He needs you to go to church every week because this is good. He reminded us earlier, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. All that it's good, but it don't really have to do with your deal with God. It has to do with your ability to maintain. It has to do with when we come to church. It gives us a safe time to gather together and people are leading us in worship and we can enter into the worship and all that. And it's healthy for us. So I'm not knocking the church thing. What I'm saying is it has nothing to do with eternal life. It has to do with life now, which is also important because this is where we are right now. But I'm talking about how do I gain life after this life? Church is for now, eternal life is later. It begins now, this is part of eternity, but this is not the part of eternity I'm really concerned about. I'm already here and it's, it's going okay. But once this body doesn't function anymore, what then? We all have that question. And some people actually focus too much on the then and they're jerks now. Sorry. As they say in the fairy tales, if the shoe fits. But the man, like me, has questions. He wanted to justify his actions, so he asked the Lord, Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Is my neighbor the humans that live in the dwelling place to the right and the left of me, across the street from me. Is that my neighbor? Technically, yes. Those are your neighbors. But Jesus expanded it a bit. The guy should have never asked a question. We could have just loved like eight people. Been done with it. But we had to ask the question, so he replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jericho down to, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside a road. Hmm, that's horrible. By chance, a priest was coming along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. 
We shouldn't do that, Brother Andrew. The priest in the story would be you this time. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And that's part of the eldership or staff of the church. Yeah, we don't get to do that either. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. We've all heard this story, and we've all acted like we did some good Samaritan thing one time because we helped a grandma cross the street or something. And that is good, and I thank you for helping grandma. It's good to help grandma. But what did it cost you? What I don't see, the element missing in the story that's included in a lot of our stories is when we got done healing the guy and paying for everything, okay, when he wakes up, would you please tell him all that I did and tell him that he owes me a couple days' work? Can you tell the police that I paid for this? Can they get somebody to pay me back? Does, did you all see that anywhere in the element of the story? So here's a stranger who is... An immigrant, basically, let's just use a word that's today word. An immigrant comes along and finds this white dude laying on the ground beat up. And he helps him. And he pays for it. And he takes him to the hospital. And he puts a couple thousand down. And he said, if it's more when I come back, please put the bill to me. Here's my name. Here's my... Social security number, so bill me. I hear it getting real quiet in here all of a sudden. Why do you think that the Samaritan man felt like he needed to pay this stranger dude who probably if he had not been beaten up and he saw him on the street would have been derogatory toward him or pushed him away or been, been ugly to him? Why did he come along and not only bandage him up and fix him and take him to an inn, which now would be a, a clinic or a hospital or something, or in some way get him to help, but he also footed the bill? What is going on here? And recently I was reading this story and I'm like, wait a minute. We don't know if the guy that got beat up was even good or not. In Romans, it tells us, I think it's Romans. If it's not, y'all will probably tell me later. Or somebody will tell me on Facebook since y'all are broadcasting it. Let's go with Romans. It says that it is scarce thing that someone would die for a just man. 
that's just not hardly going to happen, even if he's a super good guy, that someone else will die for him. But Jesus came and died while we were sinners. So what was this Samaritan guy doing? Helping this guy. And the Lord then said, go and do likewise. Do that. What you saw in the story, do that. So again, I'm blending the love and the forgiveness. This guy had to forgive this Jewish guy. Because he's a Samaritan. He's from the other side of the river. And if they had met under different circumstances, the Samaritan guy would have been laughed at, scorned, or pushed aside, or something. But in this scenario, here's a dude, he's out cold. He's laying on the ground. He's stripped naked of everything, bleeding. And the Samaritan just jumps right into the situation, begins helping him out, and just right after the Christian walked by, and the song leader. And when I read this story, I'm like, <sighs> and I used to be really harsh on the priest and the Levite until the trouble broke out in Mexico where we live and there's so much violence and, 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 and there are cases where you will come upon someone who is bleeding and dying or has been shot or wounded in some capacity and you're like, I, uh, thoughts and prayers, dude. <laughs> because you don't know what got him shot and hurt. He might have lied or stolen from the wrong people and he got himself in the situation and basically he can get himself out of it. Otherwise, when you get involved, they begin to think that you're part of this scheme and they come after you now. So after I started realizing the dangers that were on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, I started being more compassionate to the priest and the Levite. That being said, it was still the wrong decision. When someone needs help, which by the way, Jesus flipped the script as he always does. The guy's like, who's my neighbor? By the end of the story, the guy's like, whoa, yeah, the guy, the mercy. Jesus is like, who was the neighbor? Instead of us trying to get out of it, like we always are trying to do, Jesus is trying to get us deeper in. He's like, you, instead of looking, who is my neighbor? Who can I not help? He's like, you need to be the neighbor. I was like, I see what you did there, Lord. He completely turns everything upside down to how we normally have it. We were talking about it, and apparently y'all have a pretty sizable homeless person population here. And it's not necessarily with, if you're a local, that's not a happy thing. It's, it's, it's. It's pulling the town down. And you know what the Lord's answer is? How many have you helped out of that situation? Well, that's why we pay taxes. How's that working? 
the reason why the nations of the world are in the trouble they're in is because the church won't do its job. It is not their job to manage the world. It's ours. Just like Adam handed the earth over to Satan, the church has handed the earth over to the governments of the world. We're of the same mind as Adam. And I'm not against the governments. Don't be acting like that. I believe that God instituted government. It's just not their job to take care of the hungry. It's ours. Statistically speaking, we have the capacity to do so. There's enough money in the church as a whole to fix world hunger several times over. If every church that believes in the Bible in America sponsored one homeless person, there would be no homeless in America. If every Christian family in America adopted or fostered a child that was displaced out of home, orphaned or otherwise, there would be no orphans in the world. Just the American church has the capacity to fix the world. Why isn't it fixed? Because we haven't learned how to be neighbor. Because we still have the idea that it's some huge thing that's so far out of my reach that I, it's so far out there I can't even begin to do it. And Jesus was just like, can you help one? Will you give me one? Will you do one? Will you help one person? Can I have one? One person. You don't have to be a global evangelist. You don't got to spend 50 years doing it. That would be better. But can you help one? And if you ask me, what are your prospects of failure for that one? How many times will you have to go with someone until you finally succeed in saving one? That could be a quite a few. But Jesus said, go and do that. Go and be the neighbor to the people. He didn't say that, that you could include race, religion, creed, gender, any of those things. These people were in need, and you have help. Another statistic I'll give you. How many of you have a banking account? Doesn't matter how much you have in it. Do you have a banking account? Pretty much everybody. Do you realize you're in the top 8% wealthiest people in the world? just by having a banking account, even if you have eight bucks in it. You're in the top 8%. You are the elite of the world. And you might be like, dude, I work at Starbucks. You have the capacity to change the world. We're not doing it out of fear or either we don't believe it's our task, it's not our job. It is our job. We are capable. We are adequate. And where we lack, his strength is made strong through our weakness. Like she was saying earlier, we've, we've, we have idols now. We have too many things in the place of God. And, and I find myself, when I pray, I'm like, Lord, you know, you, you get to praying and your prayers can become self-righteous really fast. And So maybe I'll just say a friend of mine, not me, 
was praying to the Lord one day and say, Lord, I'm, I feel like things are going well. We're doing pretty good here. And, and the Lord was like, yeah, what about this yeah, thing here? Because when you open up your heart to the Lord, surrender all, I surrender all. Billy Graham loved that song. They used to sing it for the altar call, I surrender all. And we're like, yeah, about that all thing. The guy said out of the law, if you love the Lord with how much of your heart? How much of your soul? Mind? Strength? Thankfully, it's only 10% of the money. <laughs> but how can you give the Lord all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you're you know, worried about money? Jesus said it boils down to one choice between two masters, God or money. Unfortunately, most of the world, including the followers of Christ, have chosen money as their master. That's right. And while for a moment money seems like a, you know, it's like I have to serve money, he's a cruel taskmaster. And God's like, I could love you. We could love through this. It'll feel a little bit harder at first, but, you know, then it'll, it'll work out way better. Was there a time where Jesus was really stressed about money that you see? Maybe that they just didn't put it in there because they didn't want us to know that Jesus was stressing about money one day. The offering wasn't big enough to cover the expenses. Remember that day they ran out of food and Jesus was complaining to the disciples about how there was nobody was given and we just can't buy for everybody. And your Bible doesn't say that. You're laughing as if I'm making something up. Because it didn't happen. When they ran out of food, Jesus was like, Hey, guys, I got an idea. Why don't y'all feed them? And they're looking at him like, have you lost your mind? We're out in the desert. There's no stores. There's not enough Walmarts in the zone to feed this many people. And besides that, fresh out. Oh, yeah, because you gave the bag to Judas. And Jesus was like, no, really, feed them. Really? With what? He goes, whatever you got. What do you got? Literally, seven pieces of bread and a couple fish. I think it was seven. It might have been five. I can't remember. It wasn't enough. It was a little boy's lunch that we commandeered. He gave it willingly. What 12-year-old kid is going to give lunch up? <laughs> they took it. <laughs> the Lord hath need of it, little boy. The Lord hath need of it. And they're like, Lord, we found this somewhere. I don't know where. Be quiet, little kid. We have it right here. And he's like, okay. And he lifted it up to the Father. And he said, thank you, Father. It wasn't a long enough prayer to me <laughs> to start making food out of the thin air. <laughs> he lowers the basket. Now it doesn't have seven pieces. It's got like 70 in there. And Peter's like, what the? 
because he swore, so I'm not going to say what he said. Because <laughs> we're at church, and you'll get offended, and Facebook will get offended. And so he's like, here, hand it out. And they started handing it out and handing it out and handing it out. And Peter keeps looking at that basket like, wow, I need that basket. <laughs> That's what I would have been saying. This is a magic basket. <laughs> it had nothing to do with that. It wasn't the basket or anything. It was the father joining with his children. And they got done, and they had 12 baskets full. And, and it doesn't really say, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus wanted there to be 12 baskets so that we could take it back to the little boy and say, yeah, we took your lunch, but here's 12 baskets. Go tell your mom we're the good guys. <laughs> Not only did they eat bread, they didn't like everybody got a piece of bread. They were filled because for me, one piece of bread, yeah. That, when I'm hungry, fasted three days, that's not enough. That's what you eat while you're waiting on the appetizer, while you're waiting on the meal. Especially if you're like Red Lobster and that cool biscuits they have there. Wow. Now you're making me hungry. Oh, yeah, we're fasting. Stop talking about food. Anyway, the point is, Jesus didn't stress about some of the things that we stress about. And we could say and believe that it's okay to say this, that, well, he was the son of God, and he didn't have the same problems as me. Well, Hebrews says otherwise. It says he experiences, experienced the same things that we experience. And I realized one day that meant that one day Jesus woke up with a headache. And in my religious mind, for forever, since I was a little kid, Jesus never got sick because he was sinless. How can he experience everything I've experienced if he never got a headache? That he never felt hunger, that he never got weary? Somebody lied to me. Says all my sickness came because I was born a sinner. No. Maybe sometimes that happens. I agree. That's, there's some verses to that. But also, we have an enemy. And like he was saying earlier, these are invaders in our body. And sometimes maybe you let them in, and sometimes they simply invaded. And they had no right being there. And we have the right to look at whatever this thing is and say, you need to leave now. And if they ask you why, say, take it up with Jesus. That's how we get healed. We look at the enemy and say, get out now. By what authority? By the authority of Jesus Christ. Because I'm his brother now. And he don't like people messing with his little brother. So you better leave before he gets here. Because I already talked to him and he's coming. I sent him a text. He'll be here in 15 minutes. That's how it needs to be instead of us wallowing in a sickness and thinking, well, I probably brought this on myself, so go ahead, devil, kill me. Do you deserve sickness? Probably. 
We deserve hell, apparently, God said. Is he going to give it to us? Not if we talk to Jesus. When you're like, Lord, are you really going to put me in hell? He goes, look, I'm not going to say yes or no, but maybe go talk to Jesus. There might be a way out. Okay. It's simple, like that. Talk to Jesus. We're out of food. What are we going to do? Talk to Jesus. I'm sick. What am I going to do? Talk to Jesus. He should be overwhelmed with request. Actually, I believe this. This is a theory of mine, that we can get to the point where we've communicated enough with the Lord that he's like, you know what? I'm going to do with you what I did to Peter and Andrew and those those 12 guys, I give you authority over every sickness and disease and to drive out evil spirits. He's like, just, just shut up for a little while. <laughs> You've been praying for weeks and now just go heal people. I release you to go heal people. We can get to that point. Because when Jesus went up on the mountain, he wanted to do something special with three of the guys and show them his glory the other guys were supposed to be down there at the camp healing the sick, and they could not. And Jesus became very frustrated with them, but they're like, Lord, you weren't even here. How were we supposed to do this? And he's like, yeah, the other day we were having a conversation, and I gave you authority and power over all these things. And they're like, oh. He's like, what would you do with it? Oh, we left it back there. It's in my satchel. Pick it up and use it. And I believe that's what he's telling us. I believe we've played the victim long enough. Uh, something bad happened to you. It did. I don't deny that. Every one of us has a story of some sort. Some of, some of us have legitimately horror stories. And some of us have stories that if someone who's lived through horror has heard it, they're going to look at you and go, that's really nothing. Why are you crying? But for you, it seems real. And so let's let it be real. Let's let everybody's pain be real, even though some of you are like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> but now we've known the Lord for a little while. Can we drop the whole victim thing on, and take responsibility for our life and become sons of God? One time Jesus cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? The rest of the time he was still forgiving us from the cross. There may be overwhelming odds against you at times and, and the pressures of life to where you look up and you go, I feel forsaken. But that is not your standard condition. That's not where we stay. We don't hang out there. And Jesus didn't either. He said that one time and then he's like, you know what, I'm done. And he expired. And what he did after that, there's just there's a lot of speculation, but we have a few verses. Basically, he went down and conquered hell. And there were some keys that we had given to the devil. And he's like, those don't belong to you. You won those through deceit and manipulation and all that. I'll be having those. And he rose from the grave victoriously. He didn't come out of the grave. Yeah, you guys, I just feel like you could have done better. <sighs> Peter, you, you left. You denied me, man. Come on. <sighs> I got these keys, but it's just not worth it. 
I had to go to hell, literally. My life's been hell. That, I didn't hear that rhetoric happening. Before he got to the opening of the grave, I don't know the exact timing here, but some large angel descended from heaven in perfect view of the soldiers who are watching, these elite men that work for Pilate. These were people who knew that if they failed, they died. So they were willing to kill anyone and anything. They would fight to the death because you don't want Pilate getting after you. This angel lands, whose aspect was kind of like lightning, if you read some of the versions. He takes this huge stone that they had covered the grave with. Apparently, it was several hundred pounds to the number of maybe seven or eight hundred pounds. And he just lifts it, slams it in the ground, Sits down on it. He's looking at the soldiers like, you don't need to be, this is not what you deal with here, buddy. They fell to the ground as dead. And that's when Jesus walked out. He's just like, do you understand? That's Jesus. That's who we serve. He wasn't like whining about it no more. He took the horror that we bestowed upon him, the, the rejection and the pain and the suffering and the death that we killed him with, and he used that to bring himself to a better place because he forgave as we were doing it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's, I'm hoping that that's what would come out of my mouth, that people did that to me, but I'm not sure. There's so many politics that we allow to run our lives. Church politics, culture politics, region politics, politic politics. That we're so wrapped up, we can't help anybody. It could have ruined the Samaritan's life to help that man. He didn't let that bother him. He's like, dude's bleeding. I got to hell. He loaded him up in his car. Donkey, kind of same thing. Got blood all over the seats. Brought him to the hospital. Paid his bill. And said, if it happens to be more, I'll pay it. He never asked if the guy deserved it. He didn't care if the guy was rich or poor. He saw someone in need and he helped them. And I believe that we should do that. Jesus said to heal the sick. You don't need to ask Father if it's his will for you to heal someone who's sick. It is. Take it on as a challenge. And sometimes you will win. And unfortunately, because we're not quite to Jesus' level yet, sometimes you will lose. And I'm preparing you for that. That's not doubt. That's experience. We were praying last couple years for the couple ladies. And last month, no, in December, they both died on me. I took it personally because I was fighting with them. And the thing beat us. Because we're together in this. Now I believe their souls are okay. They were believers. They loved the Lord. They fought to the end. Holding on to their faith. 
I believe they're okay. But I am going to look at the next one and say, "Uh uh-uh, we're winning this time. We need to get the numbers. Our average needs to get up close to 100%. I don't know where you're at personally in your life. You may be at zero because you never even tried. And I'm asking you to try. Try. You see someone in need, you help them. You don't ask questions like, what do you identify as? Because I have to have this straight before I heal you. Because I see Jesus ask them that every time. Every time he healed someone, he's like, how do you identify? What's your creed? Which God do you serve? Which gender are you? Does it matter? Of course it matters. But it matters more that we get them healed. They understand that God loves them enough to heal them. Then we can talk about their life and start getting it straightened out. Oh, no, they let this thing in. The doors are open. Okay. That's your job is to start shutting doors. Their life is in a tornado. They can't fix it. They're in a tailspin. They don't know what to do. And you just come in and you start closing the doors. You're like, this one was open. It's going to be letting more demons in. I shut it for you. And then I shut this one. I shut this one. Okay, we got it all shut. Now let's get rid of the vermin that's in your life. Let me just walk you with you through it. But we're afraid to be seen with this person. So how are you going to do that? Well, I could message them on Facebook. That's not good enough. Not that the Lord can't work through Facebook. I'm just not sure he does. Instagram, anything. He likes us to get close enough to touch. He likes that. He likes it when we love people for real. Love your neighbor as yourself was the second and equally important to loving God. And and several of the apostles backed that up. James said, how can you tell me that you love God when you don't love me? I I need to see you loving me before I believe you love God. Like I was saying, these people that we walked through, the ladies died. Two different ladies in two different villages, two different families. I was like, now is when you don't want to go there. You don't want to face the fact that you didn't make it this time, that you didn't, weren't able to heal them. And I was maybe thinking the family would be angry, but you know what? Because we walked through death with them, and we continued to visit them, and we continued to be a part of their life, they love us more now. So the fear was nothing. I actually read a saying, it wasn't a scripture, so just bear with it, you know, take it how you want to. It's not the word of God, but the saying was, fear isn't real. Danger is real, but fear isn't real. Fear is all here. And John said that perfect love will cast out fear. Once your love has been perfected, fear no longer has power in your life. So if you're dealing with fear, maybe you ought to check your love levels. 
And I'm not saying that in a way of looking down on you and like, ah, you just stink. No, it's just a, it's a clear test for you. If you deal with a lot of anxiety and fear, check your love levels. And sometimes that stuff tries to come anyway, but you have to be like, no, I'm full of love. You can't have a place. And it may live with you for a day or two. You're just like, again, it's an invader. You need to go now. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. Love belongs here. Kindness. Gentleness. I am the neighbor. I wasn't before. We were sharing some stories last night. I was the bad neighbor. I would see someone who was in a homeless condition or drunk or whatever they were, and I would be like, they just wrecked their life. And I had no compassion at all. And one day, this man came to my gate demanding that I give him water. Made me mad. Because he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't nice. Hey, good morning. He's like banging on my gate. Give me water. Like, whoa, dude. I was about to tell him to leave. I walked out to the gate to give him an earful and tell him, you don't have any right to speak to me like that. You don't get to talk to me like that. You sure don't get to demand water. And the Lord just ever so neatly dropped the verse into my heart. If you give them a drink of water, you'll never lose your reward. Now, now, I think of this now, Lord. This is now. When I, I had a good saying ready for this guy to tell him how rude he was being to me and how this is my house. And, and the Lord's like, it's just a glass of water. It opened a floodgate of drunk men wanting food and water from me, like I opened, like I opened a soup kitchen unintentionally. They come to my house all times of day and night, 9, 10 o'clock at night. I'm in bed, and he knocked this one dude. Now he's like, man, I'm hungry. And I'm, man, I'm in the bed. <laughs> Is there nobody else that can give you food right now? No, I'm just really hungry. I haven't eaten in two days. <sighs> okay. See, the Lord's changing me. Before you know it, I'll be having tears too when I see the drunk guy. Not yet, but I will. <laughs> the other day, I did have a concern though. My wife was really happy because we hadn't seen him in a few days and I got concerned. I'm like, where's, where's our drunk son? I call him. Because <laughs> apparently I have to give him blankets and shoes and all kind of stuff. He believes that I'm going to do it. And apparently I will with the help of the Lord and my lovely wife. Well, the blanket was different. That was more me there. I'll have to take that one because I'm like, he needs a blanket. He's, she's like, he, he what? And I'm like, do we not have a blanket that we could give him? She's like, fine, let me look. And it wasn't that she didn't want to give a blanket. It's just, you know, when you're in the covers already and you're warm and it's chilly outside, that tries to take over. So I'm not making fun of her. Normally it's me that's dragging the feet. I gave him a blanket. And you know what? It lasted two days and it got stolen from him. I was like, don't ask me for another one. I didn't tell him that, but I thought it. <laughs> he will. 
But anyway, when he was missing for the three days, it's because the police had picked him up for trespassing and they had beat him, beat him down, stolen his shoes and blanket. And then he comes back. He's like, I don't have no shoes. I'm like, okay. What am I supposed to do about it? And he's like, well, do you have any? I'm like, look at my foot, size 12, and look at yours. You know, like size eight and a half or something. That ain't going to work. <laughs> and he's like, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> Again, I didn't take him to raise, but the Lord sent him to me. Do you see how that works? When someone comes to your car window and they're like knocking on the thing, you're like, you view it as a nuisance. And so did I for many years until like, you know, two years ago, um, 45 of my years were wasted. Now I view it as the Lord sent me this person to give me an opportunity to work with him, to help this man or woman in need. I'm not obligated to build him a house or nothing. Jesus said, if they ask for food, give them food. It's today we're worried about. I have to take care of a person's need for today. And, and, and according to this, I guess I have to pay some people's medical bills. And uh, it's just, really, if you don't want to be obligated to do nothing for the Lord, don't read the New Testament. Oh my gosh, for real. <laughs> don't read that chapter that my son was mentioning either. 1 Corinthians 13, it will mess you up. You cannot live a normal Christian life, the status quo Christian life, if you've read 1 Corinthians 13. Wow. So I, I, I tell people now that I used to believe that we were going to win Mexico. Now I'm trying to win these five drunk guys. I went from 110 million people potentially coming to the Lord to now I'm working with five. I'm praying for these five guys, not the restaurant. <laughs> fasting, fasting. <laughs> the Lord's not asking you to save the world. But he'll send you someone he wants you to save. Don't turn them away. I have before, and then the Lord comes to you, and he's like, hey, what happened? And he's so kind about it, but it cuts so deep. How long ago was that? It was in 2010. I didn't learn then, if you want to know. It was only about two years ago that I got the lesson. So 2010, the Lord began to deal with me. This is 2020. It only took me eight years. So this lady comes by our house asking for money because her child is sick and she's trying to raise some money for some medicine or something. And I didn't really pay attention. She had a paper saying from the local uh, municipal people saying that it was okay for her to go house to house and ask for money for help. So apparently it was just halfway legit. So I gave her some money. We gave her a drink of water and we sent her on her way. Like you do. You know, 20 bucks and a glass of water. Hey, I did my, I did my part. And that night at 2 a.m., I was strongly awakened by the Holy Spirit. And he said, I sent you a lady. I was like, and? I mean, that's not how you should answer Holy Spirit, but it was 2 a.m. I wasn't quite awake. That's not an excuse, but I was like, okay, I gave her 20 bucks and a glass of water. And the Lord said to me, 
I sent you a lady for you to save. And you gave her 20 bucks. And I was like, oh, okay. What was I supposed to do? That's a good question, but don't ask it if you're not ready for an answer. <laughs> he said, I want you to be a part of her life, and I want you to help get her daughter healed, and I want you to... And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even know this lady. The Holy Spirit said, I do. And I sent her to you, and you didn't help her. Oh, that hurt. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. I woke my wife up, and I'm like, you didn't help that lady. <laughs> I said, the Lord sent you a lady, and you didn't even help her. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, exactly. You don't even know how bad you did. I didn't leave it there. I told her what the Holy Spirit had spoken to me in my heart and how we together have failed this lady. Because I'm sure in this one. And so we prayed that night. We said, Lord, we're sorry. Please send her back. Because I didn't even ask her name or where she was from. I didn't care. I gave her 20 bucks and a glass of water. I said, please leave now. Don't be a part of my life because I don't want to see your misery. You're a missionary. Yeah, I have to deal with churches, not ladies that need help. Do you see how we get the focus on the wrong thing? The church is okay. Y'all are okay. There are people that are not in this room right now that are not okay. And we need to find them. It's not all of them. I don't have to care about all of them. But I do need to care about the one the Lord puts in my path. And I don't need to be like swerving and avoiding these incidents and meetings that the Lord has set up. Because sometimes you can feel it like something's about to happen and you're like, oh shoot, I need to go home right now. <laughs> the Lord about to ask me to do something. <laughs> I'm just being completely honest here. You're like, whoa, too much, too much. It's the truth and we've all done it. Or some of you are like, for real, that's what that feeling is? Mm-hmm. When you randomly see this person who is in need and all of a sudden you get this feeling right in here. That's the Lord beginning to speak to you. And when you look at that person, the Lord will tell you what to do. Well, he's never spoke to me like that. That's because you turned away. Like I did for eight years after the lady. I knew better. I just like, that's not my ministry. Here I am bearing my soul and y'all get all quiet. So we ended up, the lady came back and we brought her in. We fed her because we felt like the Lord said he wanted us to feed her a meal. That was the main thing that we missed. Is he wanted us to bring her into our home to feed her a meal and to sit with her and to hear her story. And we were fasting. And so my wife had to cook a meal while fasting and not even taste it. Because the Lord was still clear about us continuing to fast. And, and that is hard. Because normally when you fast, and it's going to be a 10-day or two-week fast or something like that, you start getting rid of the, the Girl Scout cookies because that's going to take you down. <laughs> you have to evacuate the house of anything that's not water or you're going to not make it. And then my wife had to go up 
well, I think I went uptown, but she had to cook a pot of beans and eggs, and it was just like the house was filled with these wonderful smells. And I was like, maybe the Lord wants me to eat with this lady, to eat with this lady. That's not what happened. We fed her, and we helped her, and we put one of our pastors on visiting her. And unfortunately, they ended up turning away from the gospel. So I thought after all that, after all the Holy Spirit dealing with me about it, that this would be a win, a sure thing. This one's done. No. I had that conversation with the Lord after that. I'm like, Lord, you woke me up in the night. You fussed at me. You made me feel really bad. And then she walked away. And the Lord was like, and? But I thought that meant that we were going to win that one. And he was like, wasn't about her. This was about you. You're hard-hearted. Oh. <laughs> you act like the Lord has never told y'all that before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has. It's my turn to get up and confess my faults today. But I've read the story of the Samaritan so many times now because I'm trying, like that Jewish teacher, I am trying to figure out a way to not have to help these people. Well, you're evil. No, I'm you. It's just too hard. I don't want those people in my house. Then they know where I live. Then they'll steal my bicycle. Yeah, probably. Buy a cheap one. <laughs> what if I told you that the Lord was counting all of your resources, everything that you own? What if I told you that he believes that those are disposable goods for him? What if I told you there was a verse, actually several, where Jesus would walk up to someone and say, I want you to sell everything you have and just go give the money to some random poor people you meet on the street and then come and follow me. So you literally want me to come to the ministry broke. Yep. It always gets quiet when you say something like that. Because I'm not asking for your money. I'm saying go sell everything and give it to some random person that I don't know. You know, if Jesus had said, go sell it all and go give it, hand it to Judas, and then, you know, we'll work together. <laughs> It'll be good. That's not what he said. Jesus didn't ask for the money. There was no GoFundMe situation here. Jesus didn't say, I got some people over in uh, Bethlehem that are really doing bad, so I need you to sell your stuff, give me your money, I'll take the money to Bethlehem. No. He said, go sell it. You decide what to do with the money. I don't even want to see it. Full integrity. And then come follow me. How do you get around that one? I'm working on it. If I find it out, I'll tell you, but so far, that's sealed pretty tight. 
The day you gave your heart to the Lord and you said, I surrender all and I will love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's like, wow, I take that deal. I love you. And now I know you love me enough. You'll do anything for me and I'll do anything for you. And we're, we're going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And you're like, whoa, whoa. What do you mean about all of my stuff? And he's like, no, I'll give you all of my stuff, and you give me all of your stuff. And, and you're like, whoa, I just don't want to go to hell here. <laughs> Cut. Let's start over. You forgive me sins. Jesus paid that all, and then I just live my life as a normal American. Cool? And the Lord's like, no. Basically, this is an all or nothing deal, buddy. At what point are you going to tell him you're out? Or are you still worried about that hell part? I know there's some churches that don't believe in hell anymore. You could go to that church, try that one out, see how that works for you. <laughs> I personally still think that's a, one of the options on the table. And I don't want to grab that one up. I'm going to leave that one alone. I don't even want to see the place. So what does it take to enter the kingdom of heaven? Let's go back to that question. Basically, there's just two or three things. It's really simple. Love God with all your heart. Love people and forgive anybody that does any harm to you. Do that. It's going to work out. When I look at the Lord when He shows that with me in the Scriptures, and I'm like, you know that's not possible, right, Lord? I have honest prayers. I try to. It's dishonest prayers don't get anywhere. <laughs> I don't tell him I'm going to do all that. I'm not telling you yet I'm going to sell everything, Lord, because you didn't ask me yet. He goes, well, that verse is in there. Technically, you didn't. I mean, I'm like, oh. Be willing is all I say. Don't let there be anything in your life that you wouldn't give to the Lord. And be ready and excited to give it if he does ask. I just like to leave you with that. And as soon as someone offends you, as soon as, begin the proceedings to forgive them. Whether they've repented and apologized or not. Because I don't need to carry that. Because their idea of hurting me, now I just bought into that. Now I have like a cancer in my soul. And I can heal that. Whether they want to be a part of this healing or not has nothing to do with me anymore. And when you go to them and say, hey, you offended me, you need to start it off with, hey, you remember what happened the other day? Those harsh words? And they're like, yeah. And they're ready, buddy. And you're like, that day I forgave you. That really hurt me. And maybe I did something. Be willing to go there. Maybe I did something to cause you to do that. But I already forgave you. And if I've offended you, I'm sorry. That's how you deal with people that offend you. Apologize to them. Whoa, I'd rather sell my house and give it to the Lord. <laughs> right? Well, you can do that too. Let's start with forgiving and loving people. Or like my son said, you can live for a couple years in hate and let everything be in vain that you do for the Lord. I don't want to do that. My wife tells me sometimes, 
I loved working for the Lord. I don't necessarily love the heat because where we live, it gets up over 100 degrees and just sits there till 3 a.m. And you get from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., it's about 89 or 92 degrees. And then it begins to go up again. No air conditioner. What, you don't even have enough money to buy one? Yes, I do. I've chosen to spend my money elsewhere. Apparently, one of these birthdays that my wife has, we're going to be buying an air conditioner. I think it's like 22 years straight. That's her request for her birthday. So if I ever do buy one, it's going to be a really good one because i got a lot of catching up to do. The point is, is we live in a nation where everybody suffers. Nobody has an air conditioner except the rich. Do I want to be part of the rich? Have you read what Jesus said about the rich? Lord of mercy. He humbled himself to the obedience of the cross. So I have to humble myself also. Doesn't mean that once in a while we don't enjoy Hampton Inn, though. Ooh, that air conditioner's nice. But we give up things in order to win the lost. And I'm asking you to, yes, give up things to win the lost. I'm not telling you what, because I don't know what that would look like for you. I need you to get with the Lord and say, Lord, I would like to win some lost and heal some sick and do some things with you, for you, whatever that looks like. And it might not be some drunk guy coming to your house. For you, it might be that you just went and visited someone who was suicidal or something, and you gave him a hug and said, man, I just love you. I don't even know why I just met you, but what's going on with you? And they tell you later, you have no idea. That day I was going to kill myself. And then you look up to heaven, you're like, We did it. We did it. And then you go to the next one. And you keep checking back to that one. Because once God hands you a disciple, you don't get to hand it to Brother Andrew. This person is your disciple now. Yay, are you ready for that? Like, man, I'm not even fully... No, and you never will be probably to the point where you feel now I'm ready to be Jesus and have disciples. I still sometimes, I've been in ministry for so long, I can't remember not being in ministry. And sometimes I look at the Lord, Lord, are you sure about me? Because I don't think think I'm the guy that you think I am. And he's like, shh. And then there's a knock at the gate. Hey, I need a blanket. And the Lord's like, <laughs> the Lord loves you. It's not about doing things to make him happy with you. It's about when he says, hey, will you, uh, will you help that person right there? He's, and you're like, okay. And he's like, yes. That's how it is. It's not like, it's about time. He don't get all attitude on you. It brings like a cheer of joy to him when we do stuff. He rejoices. How many want to make Jesus rejoice? Because I do. So when you get there one day and you meet Jesus and you meet the Father and the Father's like, do you realize how many times you made the Lord laugh? And I'm like, uh. He's like, we're so happy to meet you. 
to be face to face with you. And you're like, no, the pleasure's all mine. And the Lord's like, no, really. You pleased me. That would be so amazing. Can you imagine if the Lord God of the universe said, you pleased me? That's why I live. That's why I do what I do. I want to hear that. They don't have anything to do with the devil. He is inconsequential in this relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Lord, that we can just come before you and worship you. We feel privileged to be here and to tell you that we love you and to share with you our needs, our situations, our emotions, God. Send each person, God, their disciple. I ask you, Lord, to just do something strange and let each person feel like this week that you gave them someone that they need to help. No matter where they are, God. I ask you for that, God. And Lord, I know there are sick in the building. I ask you to just release an anointing of healing. That you heal us, God. We prayed for healing during the worship service, and I pray for it again now, God. We, we just keep dipping in the river. And we're going to keep dipping until we see it. We don't give up. We don't surrender. The Lord is true, and the devil is a liar. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.